We're in the book of Acts chapter number 9. We have just a few minutes. I want to give your, ask give your attention, if you would please, not to me necessarily, but to the wonderful Word of God. This is not a stadium. It's not a, there's no concession stand to go to. So you can just stay right where you are and uh, hang out with us just for the next 25 minutes or so. And if you do slip out, it would be helpful if you just stop and sit in the back of the room so you don't disturb others around you. And it would be a good time to get off your phone or your, your device and let's listen to the Word of God this morning so that we cannot disturb those around us. The book of Acts is God's story of the early church. Matthew, Jesus is the king. Mark, he's the servant. Luke, he's the son of God. Excuse me, Luke, he's the son of man. And then John, he's the son of God. In the book of Acts, he goes to heaven in chapter 1. Chapter 2, his spirit comes down and fills the believers in chapter 2. In chapter 2 and 3, they go out and they begin talking to people about the saving grace of Jesus, what we should do. By the way, spirit-filled Christians, we should talk to others about the Lord and be a witness, give out gospel tracts, get engaged in conversation, invite someone to church, be at church yourself so you invite other people to come with you. That would be a good idea. Nonetheless, we, we, they went out, and when they went out, the people came in. And, boy, people started coming and getting saved by the hundreds and thousands of people came to know Christ as their Savior. In the early church, uh, there, was, uh, there was a pattern. The pattern was it began with a, a personal relationship with God. Then it went to prayer. And prayer gave, uh, from prayer, they came boldness, and they began preaching the word of God. And then there became persecution. And it, kind of part, it just kind of went around like that. And you'll see the early church experienced that. It is a very transitional book. Some of the things that happened in Acts, you have to remember that at the time that all this happened, there was no Bible for them to turn to. There was no New Testament. They could, the pastor couldn't get up and say, would you turn to the book of Ephesians? Would you turn to the book of Acts? No, there was no book of Acts when they were going through Acts. <laughs> uh, there wasn't, it wasn't ready yet. And so there were several things that are very different for those early Christians, but there are many things the same. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same call of God to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus goes to heaven, he said, look, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then here's what the power's for. To be witnesses in Jerusalem, in your surrounding area, in Samaria where people are not like you, and anywhere that creatures of God are anywhere in the world, the uttermost parts of the earth, I want you to get out and get people to do Now, we got a problem. We're stuck in one body. You can only be in one place on the planet at one time. And yet you have a responsibility to get the gospel to everyone. So if you can't go in person, you must go in proxy. But many of us are going to go in person, just like Brother and Mrs. Simmons are leaving this month to go to Uruguay, and they're going to Kenya. Others are going to Kenya. Others are going to Nigeria. Others are, we had this week, um, Brother and Mrs. Smith went back to their, to their place in, in their country, and they're going back there. People are going, and God wants us to go. We had a little 12, 13-year-old young man stand up here the other day and say, I believe God's called me to be a missionary. That's good, because everybody needs to do something. You've got to play a role in getting the gospel, because that's what the Holy Spirit of God wants us to do. But in the early church, numbers of things took place after salvation. Now we're going, we're probably in a maybe in the first 10 years of the church. But the church stayed primarily in Jerusalem until persecution came. When persecution came, then they began to spread out. The first deacon, Stephen, 
His life was taken by martyr. They killed him. They, they, they threw rocks on him and he died. His wife became a widow. His kids became uh, fatherless. And, and as a result of that, uh, the church, uh, there were some devout men who carried him out. There were some, there were some others who were nervous and some fled from Jerusalem, and Philip was one of those. Philip went up to Samaria, and he began telling folks about Christ. Hundreds of people got saved there. And then God sent him out into the middle of the desert to reach one Ethiopian African man. And he went out there because the man needed some explanation. God sent Philip to go out there, and a sensitive servant of Christ he was, and he went out there. But there is a, there is a main character in the book of Acts, his name before he came to know Christ, his name was Saul. He was raised in a Grecian town of, of Tarsus. He no doubt knew Grecian poetry. He understood the Olympics and the Grecian way of life. And yet as a young man, his mom and dad, who were devout Jews, and they sent him to Jerusalem to learn under a man named Gamaliel. He was a world-famous teacher of Jewish of Jewish truth and Jewish doctrine. Their mom and dad, they no doubt were probably somewhat wealthy, but they said, you know what, our son, uh, we want him out of Tarshish, we're going to send him to Jerusalem, and he sat at the instructional school of Gamaliel. And he taught, he was taught, and he was strong. He was a Pharisee, he became a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, he knew his tribal understanding in the, in the, in the nation of Israel. He was zealous and he became a very young and upcoming strong leader for Judaism. And because of his zealous there, he hated anything that would take people out of Judaism. And that included Christianity. He was the one who stood there and collected the coats of people who stoned the first martyr there, Stephen. He voted that Stephen should die and held their coats while they killed him. And he seemed to get a real charge out of the, in chapter 8. You can look at the first two words of chapter 8. What does your Bible say? And Saul. How about the first two words of chapter 9? So this guy is, he's famous, but he's infamous. <laughs> he's famous for the wrong reasons. He is, in a, he is going against anything that has anything to do with Christ. He has got permission to, to arrest people. He, didn't, he wasn't discriminatory between man or woman. He'd go into a house and he'd find out if they had any, any beliefs in Christ. He would pull the man, the woman out and try to prosecute them. If they could die, that would be even better. He didn't care about the kids screaming. He didn't care about they didn't have a job. He would, he would find Christians at work and go to their boss and say, this guy's got to be fired. When he found out that someone got saved and baptized, he would insist if they were a widow, depending upon families, that they would be put out on the streets. If he found a lady who would get uh, saved and baptized, he would go to the husband and say, you've got to give her a bill of divorcement. We have got to turn up the heat against these folks. Because he hated anything that had to do with Christ. And he has a head-on collision with Jesus in chapter 9. What happens in chapter 9, he tells his story again in chapter 22 and 26 of your Bibles. I'd love to encourage you to go and read them. His story in his own words. These, these words are given to us by Luke. His own words are given to us in chapter 22 and 26 of the same book of Acts. 
But he tells about his story and what God did and what happened with this guy named Saul of Tarshish on that day has ripple effects of this very auditorium today. Many of us would not be here, maybe not any of us, would be here today if Saul had not been converted. There's no telling what happens when someone gets saved. The, the ripple effects are eternal. And what happened, the story we're going to read about today, we already read about, is going to be unbelievably significant. The reason that Tim and Krista Simmons are going to Uruguay is because what happened right there in chapter 9. It's unbelievable. And it was the least, if you could think of the most avid atheist that comes to your mind, who just curses God, curses Christ. By the way, that's one of the proofs that he's really real, is they're cursing the God of the Bible. No one gets mad and says, oh, Buddha, and curses him. No one gets mad, oh, Mohammed, and curses him. They want to curse someone, they curse the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he's real. <laughs> That's right. You got to think about that. But he hated Christ. He hated the people of the way they called them. They were not called Christians yet until chapter 13 at Antioch. That's the first time that people were called Christians. So they would call them the people of the way. Because Jesus would say he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So this guy is on a head-on collision, but we see that he is a bad dude. If you could think of maybe the leader of the Taliban, someone who is out to take Christians and just find out, do they have anything on their phone that has to do with Christianity? Do they have a Bible on their phone? They do. We're going to persecute them. We're going to hurt them. These, this is the kind of guy that go house to house. Is anybody of this way? Anybody? You know anybody? He would go to the synagogues and find anybody who had been teaching of this, of this thing, and maybe they're, they're leaning one way or the other, and he would try to get them and arrest them and take them away. If you can think of someone who's really, maybe the guy at work that's just so foul-mouthed, and he just, he's, a, he's really against God, or the girl, or the aunt, or uncle. This is the kind of guy this guy was. Look at the harsh words that are given by Luke there in chapter 9, verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out what? Two things. Threatenings and... Boy, those sound pretty serious, don't they? He was not only doing something with his verbal challenges, he was doing something physically, slaughtering, killing. He just, he breathed like a war horse going to battle. Who else can I get? He was infused with hatred for Christ and anyone who would identify with him. Verse number two, we find that... Um, he was against the disciples of the Lord in verse number one and went to the high priest. So he went to the high priest there in Jerusalem and desired him letters, official stamped letters, no doubt, that he could take to Damascus, 150 miles north. So he's not, he, didn't, he got everybody he thought he got in Judea. Now he wants to go north, 150 miles, to a city called Damascus, to the synagogues. And if they found any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He'd go and arrest them in that jurisdiction and bring them back to Jerusalem for prosecution. The guy was unbelievably infused. Verse number three. And as he journeyed and came near Damascus, he is now in his 145th mile of a 150 mile trip. He's almost there. Suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. 
And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So as he's, he's no doubt on a horse, uh, I'm sure, on a beast of some sort, but he, he's driving, he's going that way, he's probably got an entourage of soldiers with him or Jewish police that have uh, there in the Temple Mount have sent him authorities to go, and he's got a, a posse of folks coming that direction. And as he comes to D Damascus, a light shines from heaven and it blinds him and everybody with him. And then he hears a voice out of the light that says, Saul, Saul. You ever have anyone say your name and you don't know who they are? How did you know my name? Well, that was on steroids that afternoon. He is there, he can't see, and now he hears a voice calling his name, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? He asks him a question. And he doesn't know who's talking to him, and he does, he does know he knows his name. And he's been uh, working with him. But let's continue and look and see what the Bible tells us. In verse number five, he responds to the question with, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, Lord, who are you? He acknowledged that he was bigger than him, called him Lord, called him master. Who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. Whom thou persecutest. By the way, he was persecuting the disciples of Jesus, the church of Jesus, and he takes that pretty personal. And before you want to cause problems with God's people or God's church, I would consider who you're really bothering. Jesus took it personal. He wasn't hurting Jesus physically. Jesus was in heaven. But he was hurting his people. He was hurting his church. And Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. A prick is, a, is a, a tool that oftentimes a guy who would be plowing with an oxen or something, an ox sometimes didn't like something, they kick or they back up and, and they would put a goad, they would put a sharp, a sharp thing on the bottom or they would poke them at the back. When they kicked, they would poke them in the back so they'd learn, ow, that hurt, I think I want to do that again. So they would kick against it and kick, they would cause problems to the person trying to get them to plow and they would kick, they would kick against a sharp probe and it would hurt them. They go, oh, ow, that, that hurt. He said, are you tired of kicking against my conviction? I'm dealing with you. Are you, tired of, are you tired of fighting? There may be someone this morning, you're here. God's been dealing with your heart about salvation, surrender. And he's convicting. He's working. And you're just responding less than favorably. Are you tired of kicking against the pricks? God's been telling you to do something. You just keep saying, no, no, no. You're, you're the loser. The, the happiest man on the planet, the happiest one, is the person who leaves the choices up to God. Who lets God lead them. Well, he wasn't letting God lead him. Matter of fact, he's going there. Now there's a head, uh, there's a head on collision. He, he's confronted by Jesus. He said, are you tired of fighting, Paul? Saul, are you tired of fighting? Let's look at the next verse. The Bible tells us in verse number six, and he trembling, astonished, and said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the man was journeyed with him, the posse that was with him. They stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, when he, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man, he couldn't see anyone. 
And they led him by the hand, visually impaired, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. A lot of wonderful things happen here. A lot of things that probably, they're, first of all, they're unique to Paul. Not everybody's going to have a salvation story like this. And just because you didn't have one doesn't mean you're not saved. It's not hard to get saved. Everybody gets saved the same way. Faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing minus nothing. But everyone is saved a different scenario. There's a different circumstance. And don't compare yours. But there are two things that we see here. There's a light and there's a voice. There's a light and a voice. And I think in everyone who gets saved, that is still true today. Now, the light is not a light that shines in my eyes like these spotlights do in my eyes on here. You're so fortunate not to have to do that. But the light is not a light that comes out of a ceiling or out of an electric uh, socket that shines in your eyes. The light is a person. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. He said, let your so shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When people come to know Christ... It's the same scenario. It is a light of a Christian and the Word of God that comes together. The Word of God is ushered in by the Holy Spirit of God. There has to be conviction. When someone's saved, the Holy Spirit works in their heart, and the Word of God comes in their ears and produces faith. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So those are things that bring someone salvation. Some of you, I've sat here, I see you in the service, and I sat down with you and went through the gospel, and someone has done that. And if someone talks to someone about Christ, they're the light. At work, why, why should you be a good worker at work and diligent? Why? Because you're a light. Why should you be a good neighbor in your neighborhood? Because you're a light. Your life by itself cannot win anyone to Christ. They have to be hearing the word of God. But it's your light that gives opportunities for people to hear the light. I was talking to a man the other day, and, and I didn't think he was going to listen to me, but he listened to me fairly well. And he told his wife later, he goes, you know what, I think that guy genuinely cares about me. And I was so glad to hear that. It gives me entrance to opportunity, and, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm just one person in the world, and you're just one person in the world, but you may be the light to that one person. Someone else is looking to you, ma'am. Talked to one of our folks who got saved right here, and they went out soul when he won for the first time yesterday. And they were not ashamed to tell folks about Christ. They just went out and began to drum a conversation with people. It's a wonderful thing. You know what they are? They're being a light. Your testimony, the way you respond to problems, the way you handle situations, the way you take care of your property, what kind of a neighbor you are, what kind of a business person you are, how you pay your bills, how you conduct yourself. How you look, where you go, what you do, what you don't do, all of that is a light. And Paul, Saul here, got saved because of a light that he saw and a voice that he heard. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't even know why I'm in this room. You're probably here because of the light. You're probably here because someone invited you to come. Someone has been praying for you. Someone cares about you. Someone gave you a gospel tract. Someone's asking God to bring you. There's a light in your life. But that person cannot bring the gospel to you. You need to hear God's word. At the end of every service, we have many people who can sit down and show you from the Bible 
how you can know and hear God's word so that you will know how to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you'll do that. But all of us ought to be burdened. God, let me be a light to somebody. Let me share God's word with somebody. Don't let me find my fulfillment in life by just getting more, getting more stuff and getting all you can, canning all you get, sitting in your can and telling everybody how much you have in your can. Don't do don't, don't your life. Your life is not viewed by, by what you have, what you possess, how big you can, you can be. It's, it's, it's determined by if you're a light. Let that light so shine. Use what God's given you. We see that is true with, with Saul. I love this. There's two things that bless my heart and many things in this story that help me. But this is a good thing. Number one, he said, who art thou? And one thing all of us have to do in this day and time, on this time, September the 5th, 2021, what you need to find out is who is God to you? Who is he? Do you trust him? Is he your savior? Do you know for sure he knows you? One of the saddest things I can ever imagine is for God to look in the eyes of, of, of people who say, Lord, Lord, I know you. I went to the church. I sang. I played the instruments. I ushered. I did this. I did all these things. I did all that work. And he'll say, I, I, don't, I don't know you. Is he your savior? This is what Saul had to find out. He said, now who's talking to me? He asked him, who art thou? You know, everybody, someone said the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. What do you, what do you think about him? Who is he? Many of us, we have a God of our own understanding. And I've heard this many times. People say, well, my God would never send anybody to hell forever and ever. Let me just tell you something. You need to find out the God of the Bible. Okay, you can't have a God. I've had a guy tell me, that doorknob's my God. That guy's got some rooms to rent upstairs, and he's got a few french fries short of a Happy Meal. <laughs> but I'm glad my God is not a doorknob. But the truth of the matter is, you can make up a God of whatever you want. But you need to find out who is the God. You know what, you know what Saul found out? He found he was talking to the God of the Bible. He was talking to Jesus, and he said, number one, who are you? And every one of us have to decide, who is God to us? And number two, what does he want us to do? That was two pretty good questions. Who are you and what would thou have me to do? That would be a game changer. You know, the strength of First Baptist Church of Hammond and any church is based upon the willingness of you, sir, and you, ma'am, and me, and Linda, and Mason, and Esteban, and Morris, and Bill, and Jean, figuring it out. No way. Who is God to me? And if he is who he says he is, he's worthy of our faith and our allegiance. And then ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know why our lives are changed by one guy named Saul? It's because he found out who God was. And he asked him, what do you want me to do? And then whatever he told him to do, he did it. He was confronted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he asked him, who are you? And what do you want me to do? Have you ever asked God that? Well, man, when I was in camp years ago, how about like last week? How about today? Who is God? You know how you'll know God? You'll know him through what he says about himself in the word of God. 
Your knowledge of God rests heavily upon your knowledge of the Scriptures. That's why the Bible says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Get to know the God who's talking to you. And then number two, ask him what he wants you to do and do it. Had a man called me. He was discipling a new convert. He went to Isles Anderson College years ago, served in Nicaragua, and now he lives in the States. And he said, Pastor, I'm discipling three people. He says, forgive me for calling you to take up your time. I'm humbled that you would call me. I, I, he emailed me when I called him back. He said, but I am working with a guy, and I need to know a good definition of faith. He asked me, what is faith? And we talked about several things. He gave me some suggestions. But you know what? I said, you know, I don't know Michael, but I think faith really is very simple. It's trusting God enough to do what he asks you to do. <laughs> it's just trusting God enough to obey him. Whatever he tells us to do. You know why Noah built an ark? Because God told him to. You know why Abel killed a lamb instead of getting a fruit basket? Because God told him to. Do you know why Abraham left the earth of the Chaldees? Because God told him to. You know why Jesus got baptized at the river Jordan with his cousin? To fulfill all righteousness. God wanted me to. And then John said, well, that's fine. We'll do that. You know why Philip left Samaria and went out into the desert to reach one? Didn't even make sense. He did it because the Lord told him to. Find out who God is and then doing whatever he wants you to do. If it's giving, if it's serving, if it's forgiving someone that's hurt you, if it's renewing your heart to serve the Lord, be a soul winner. Listen, all of us, I could have said this on Wednesday, I didn't say it, but Matt Fritz, who sat right here in this row Wednesday night, Sunday night, he and Brother Kotso prayed together right here in the front. And he didn't know his casket was in town. And you don't know your casket's not in town. We need to do what God wants us to do, depending upon who we know about him, what we know about him. Let's pray together, can we?